You've just found your way to CX in the Wild. Season 2. Where Dennis Wakabayashi is again on safari around the world. Capturing candid conversations with the leading executives in the customer experience and marketing industries. And now, let's step into this episode of CX in the Wild. All right, Bob, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Um, you're on CX in the Wild, totally unscripted, yeah. but I did see something that you were talking about that caught my ear, and I thought the audience would want to know about it. You know, I, I talk to a lot of different people, and everybody wants to tell me their product is like the thing, mm -hmm. and it's new, and it's different, and... Uh, but I, I like to listen because I never know if somebody's going to actually say something that like, I'm like, oh my God, this is cool, yeah. which you guys did. So here you are on CX in the Wild and my audience wants to know what you're doing. That's cool. Why don't we start with who you are, your company, what you do? Sure. So my name is Bob Dealer, like you mentioned. So I, I work as our director of uh, strategic sales. We're a software as a service organization, so it's very simple web-based knowledge application for designed for contact centers, but it can be used across the enterprise. What does that mean, knowledge management? Like break it down a little more, just in case there's somebody who's new into customer experience or new into business and they want to know yeah, the sure. industry you're in. Sure. So imagine you're an agent. You could be someone who's really good at their job, they've been doing it for years, or it's someone who's just left the classroom and maybe they're in the classroom. And they're trying to figure out how to do their job, right? It could be, how do I interact with the customer? How do I interact with our systems? You know, how do I solve a complex problem? So they reach for knowledge articles or pieces of knowledge that the, typically an organization has provided them through some portal. And so we're an application that does something like that, but in a highly visual manner. So I know that I know the younger generations are really self-learners. Mm -hmm. They have low attention spans or... You might say yeah, they're like super me. fast yeah. learners, but they also, a lot of them are visual. I'll, I'll share with you, I'm also an instructor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I say these things because as I observe students in the classroom, I understand that we have to convey information more quickly. Different modes of learning are important. And I think your tool speaks to that trend of of educating a large group quickly at yeah. scale. So I guess maybe maybe why I was personally a little bit more interested yeah, than yeah. most. Well, well, I think the beginning of the conversation you and I had, right, you know, I wasn't talking about, but it's the, you know, show me that, don't, I wasn't about showing the application. It's like, what do we fundamentally compete against, right? Okay. And if you think of most knowledge applications, they're just different ways to surface a knowledge base article. Kind of like looking something up in an encyclopedia. Exactly. It's like you're either searching for it, maybe you've got it saved on your desktop somewhere, maybe it lives in SharePoint or something like that. <clears throat> and fundamentally why we're different is instead of it being a text-based document, it's something that's highly visual, right? And so imagine you're on the phone with somebody, you're trying to solve something complex, maybe someone's upset, and if you have to read through a five-page, ten-page PDF explaining the process, it's going to be a stressful situation. If you're guided very easily through that call flow with something that's visual, something that's designed for adult learners in mind, 
your experience is going to be way better and the customer experience is going to be way better. I'll, I'll tell you where, and for the audience, I, I'm going to post some pictures because I took pictures of your flow chart, but unfortunately mm -hmm. we can't convey that on, yeah. in audio. The, the thing that struck me was, just for the audience, if you imagine we've all been to the airport mm -hmm. and we, we want to change something and we see them go to those screens where they're like tab, tab, click, backspace, yeah. enter a code, all these things to accomplish their, their job. And I always think because I grew up also when I was younger, I programmed computers, that sort of thing. So I recognize these, these methods of getting from screen to screen. Yep. And what those screens require is the user to know what the alternative answers mm -hmm. are. Yep. If it's this, if it's that, if it's this again, other things. What I loved about your your particular system, when you when you showed it to me, there's a flow chart on the screen. Yep. It starts, it, there's a clear journey, mm -hmm. a customer journey or a service journey. Yeah. And as I moved, I followed the journey, I could see that did the customer do this? Did the customer do that? Yeah. And I could pick the path, but I could follow along as if in my mind I was going through an experience with a customer and what they might be going through and their reactions. And I could follow it on screen. I almost felt like just watching your demo, I could probably do that job. <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. Um, and like, there's a lot of nuance to a call flow, to a discussion. Like, you know, I don't want to tell people that their knowledge bases suck, but people often ask like, man, why is this not working? I've been struggling this for 10 years. And if you, if you think about it, you know, when, when we're working with the customer, we're converting some of their documentation to procedure flow. And then we go, we go validate it with a subject matter expert. It's never what they thought it was, right? The, the small little nuances of, you know, just getting that application, Bro, negotiating that. That happens in customer experience yeah. all the time. Yeah. People always think that they know what the journey is yeah. until you actually have people yeah. go through it. And you're like, wait, this. I used to do a thing um, when I worked on the customer experience at McDonald's where <clears throat> I would have the journey, and it was the journey as we imagined it. But then I would bring the customers in to validate the journey. Mm -hmm. And they would change certain things and I would cover it all up in post-it notes and bring the, the leadership back in and I would peel off their custom, their, their stickies where and show where the customer really changed. Yep. And in some ways I think there's this, um, perception versus reality in these flows. Mm -hmm. And, and if anything, service design taught us that you can optimize an actual quantifiable or, or or um, accurate flow, and I think your your software does that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I agree with you too. You know, to go back to like we were talking about the visual component before, right? Like text versus visual. Yeah. And like a game, you know, it's sometimes you have to really hit people over the head with the fact that you know text is bad, it doesn't work, and they're like, why? Like, prove it to me why, right? And so a, a game I always play with them is, you know, what's a, a curved line with every point equal distance from the center? What am I describing? A circle. A circle, right? For most people, that was very fast, good for you. For most people, it takes them three, four, five seconds to give me that answer. If I show them a circle, a graphical, you know, a visual representation of that knowledge, they recall it instantly, right? So by taking your process and procedures, making them visual, you're just going to enable people to get what they need quicker. And if they do that, CX is going to go through the roof, right? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. The visual aspect we, is interesting. Yeah. The flow is interesting. 
the opportunity for, for the visual to guide the journey for the agent or the person using the knowledge, mm -hmm. uh, all these things are pretty attractive to me. The, the other thing you talked about that sort of struck me was, and I just say this for my audience, here's the thing. There are giant organizations who have knowledge management, care centers. There's a lot of infrastructure in place. And yeah. to throw the switch on something like your thing, of course, the answer is, oh, yeah, it's easy. We can do this. But the fact is, from the politics, the infrastructure, all that, it's, it's a lift. Absolutely. And you said something to me because I'm working on some startups, and it struck me. If you're a startup or a fast mover in this space, to be able to start with a tool like yours, well, why don't you talk about how it starts? Because I think your colleague, you was saying, you know, if you start with this tool. Yeah, you're going to put yourself in an amazing place as an organization. So right. what's that look like for the audience? Like if I was a startup or I was starting a program, yep. why would I want to use your thing? Well, what happens in any organization when they're trying to map out the customer journey, right? They, everyone gets in a room together, they pull the whiteboard and they start talking about the step-by-step -step interaction of how the customer deals with, uh, you know, with your agents and your employees. And so just through the nature of drawing that out or you know, representing that and building that flow, you know, why are you doing it on a whiteboard? Build it right in procedure flow from day one, right? Because, you know, that type of exercise is great to be able to show management and leadership, hey, this is our process. But it's extremely separated from how your agents are actually going to do the job with the customer. It's not consumable, right? It's so, not a desktop. So you're, you're essentially saying it creates almost a layer of transparency or strategic alignment from the, 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 the operational and the executive team yep. because they're actually... That's an interesting dynamic. Instead of asking the, because uh, we're always saying, you know, if the executives got on the front line, mm -hmm. there'd be an, a realization. But what this does is it almost allows a two-way, allows the front line and, and, and the uh, executives to be working from the same sheet of paper. A hundred percent. And it also makes it easy for you to identify gaps, right? So if you know, you've got, let's say you've got your, your main buckets into different areas inside your organization. As you drill into each bucket, you know, all the different aspects that you're responsible for, those are categorized as procedures, and underneath them, they're all listed out. And if, you know, from a leadership perspective, if you're drilling through these different areas in your business and the processes just aren't there, it means that there actually isn't one. Or whoever is running that area has no idea what the process really is. And so as you fill in all those gaps and understand where they are, you can become way more proactive, right, in terms of, you know, fixing your organization, enhancing it. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes it way, way more nimble. And, and the other thing you showed, and it was getting kind of deep for me, but I understood it, which is you have this natural Kaizen or continuous improvement yeah. workflow thing. Can you just talk about how executives or the front line or who uses this? Yeah, for sure. So And how does it work? Yeah, so every user has different levels of permissions assigned, right? Um, so you can have people who are just read-only, you get contributors, approvers, admins, that sort of thing. Like the, And the, the padded part, like the real magic of it, is how you can assign people as a contributor, right? So let's say let's say you've got 500 agents, and you know 50 of them are, uh, you know, top performing people. You know they always do the best job. They have great quality scores. So you can actually give them the ability if they uncover an error or they know that their method for doing it is better than what's already in the platform, they can very easily make that change and suggest it up the chain, right? And so as a prover, I can see all these changes. So you, you democratize process improvement. And you've actually engaged your frontline employees to do it, right? And so, you know, how do you think that makes them feel, right? It lowers 
attrition. It makes them feel more gay, engaged, right? It makes them feel like they're actually contributing to the organization. Well, at the same time, leadership gets the benefit from that nuance we talked about earlier, right? That's often not captured. And you, and you were showing, you had some metrics around the, the usage yep. of these steps and these pieces. But I think what strikes <clears throat> me there is if I'm in management and and I'm going to tell you, I'm looking at this through my own lens. When I was looking at this, uh, I have a business myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I have 65 people, wonderful people, all uh, inspired, empowered people to change the business. Yeah. And what I would love is for us to have process and I want them to change and whatever they want to make their lives or the work better at any time. But I feel like there's this administrative thing where we get together and like, hey, is, can we improve this flow? And it would be so much nicer if I could go in and say, I figured out this flow is wrong and fix it. Right. Or if other people can say, Dennis does yeah. know what he's talking about. This is how it really works. Exactly. And like you're, you want to distribute you know, you distribute ownership of process in those different areas. So, you know, each one of those departments, they could have their own approver, right? And then that comes up to you to make a final decision. And like people want to contribute to process improvement, but the, it's like pulling teeth. Like oftentimes there's nothing documented to start with. People can't agree on what it is. It's the reality is separated from how it's actually done. So if you give them an application that makes it super easy to build, no code, just drag and drop that allows them to do it on their own. You're, you're providing the vehicle for them to, to make that t- type of change that you want, right? And if, we're, if I'm really thinking about this a little more deeply, not uh, let me just put, let's see if I can say this right. <clears throat> Allowing people to have an active hand in the transformation or the continued improvement using a tool like yours, it makes it a little safer for a lot of people to be working through the process. But what I also think it does is it introduces a little bit higher level of trust. You know, I think that a lot of times when we work, I don't think we feel trusted enough. I think that's mm-hmm. pretty much why we, I think that's part of the element of why we leave our jobs is they didn't trust me or trust my instincts or trust that I knew what I was doing. Yeah. And when I'm empowered to change the process and submit it because I found a better way, yeah, that facilitation, I think, improves trust within the organization. Yeah, and some customers, you know, at the end of the month, they, they'll give an award for who had the most not suggestions, but suggestions that actually got live and pushed out to everyone, right? So, you know, it can be so, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be monetary. It doesn't have to be a prize. It's just recognition of what their contribution. And so you'll you'll lower attrition big time by doing that. You know, some of our customers, like when they're especially in industries that are having a hard time meeting hiring quotas or have huge turnover. Oh, and that's training. a big topic I these know. days. So some of them. If they're close to signing a really experienced person they know they want, they'll actually show them a sanitized version of procedure flow in the interview, right? Because the, what, what I found is the biggest reasons why they flunk out of training or they leave right and hit the floor is they, you know, the training might be great, rah, 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 it's great to work in this organization, but the documentation instructions for them to do it once they're on their own is terrible. So those experienced people want that. So if you show that to them, Early on, it actually helps point people over to the organization. I'm not going to lie. I feel intimidated. I don't think I could go and work in a customer care center because I, I'm intimidated by the training and the learning. Yeah. And I think that was what struck me when I, I, I wasn't trying to be uh, uh, frivolous when I said, when I saw your, your visualization of it, I did feel like if someone asked me a question, 
right then and there, I could follow that yeah. flow chart and I could at least adequately respond in some way. And I, I, so that rings true with what you're saying about, let's say, empowering the, the, the layer of entry into an organization yeah. for, for care departments. So <clears throat> proof is always in the pudding. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. You have customers? Yeah, we have over 100 customers, yeah. 100 customers. Yeah. That's fantastic. And how many agents do you think? And please, it, this is a podcast. Don't say anything that's um, confidential or I yeah. don't want to, you know. Uh, total agents across all customers. Somewhere, I think, in the 30,000 range. Okay. Yeah. That's not, not bad. insignificant. And, and the thing is, is like, and that's exploded in the last year, right? Um, Talk about that. Well, if you like, the technology has been around like what we're doing for probably about five years. But as people switch to working from home, in the absence of being able to raise your hand, sure, and ask sure, for, sure. what do you do? Right? You reach for something to self-serve as the agent, and if that documentation is in a great format, you need something like procedure flow. So that shift to working from home, um, you know, drastically. I mean, we, we had customers calling us, calling us up and just falling over to get set up. So that's one aspect of it, and the last one, in, in my opinion, is. I think people were convinced that automation was going to solve their problems when in reality, yes, there's some things you need to automate in your organization, but there are procedures that are way too complex. There's aspects of that job you're never going to automate and you can't ignore it. You need to have a solution for that stuff as well. That makes me wonder, what's the relationship between something like procedure flow and uh, AI and, yeah. and yeah. escalation, that sort of thing? Yeah, so if you think about, so we have a couple of different APIs. So one is for doing advanced reporting for process improvement. Another one is to actually access the flows. So if you've got a chatbot or a, some sort of kind of speech-to-text system that's you know listening to a call and recommending you know knowledge-based articles today, all we do is replace those articles as endpoints with the actual procedure flow, right? So we can you and I can be having a, a discussion as agent to customer. It's listening to it and saying, hey. This is the flow that you should use, right? So that's that's where the relationship. So it's symbiotic. Yeah, symbiotic, and that's what I, I have to explain to people all the time. It's like, well, how do you fit into you know automation and you know how do you compete with that? It's like we're not competing with that. Those are just systems to surface articles and knowledge to you. We're not competing with that. We're competing with the fundamental format of your knowledge, which is in text right now. And once people accept that, and they have in the last couple of years into a huge degree. That's when our business is really taking off. Hence the term procedure flow yeah. as the the value, but also the name of your company. Yeah. Tell me, uh, how do people get in touch with you? How do they learn more, get a demo or check yeah. in on this? Well, I mean, you can go to our website at procedureflow.com and obviously you can sign up for a demo there. You can, of course, reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. My name's Bob Keeler, like I mentioned. And, you know, just have a conversation with us. You know, I find, you know, half the people we talk to, you know, it's not the right solution for them. Their business is not at the right level of maturity or it's just not the right time for them. Like, we'll tell you that, right? A no is better than a yes half the time. So just have a conversation with us. We'll show you a demo live with a company that's similar to your organization and, and take the conversation from there. Wow. Bob, thank you for telling me about Procedure Flow. And I loved the fact that I learned something and saw something different. So thank you for your time today. My pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. 
Thanks for joining us for this edition of CX in the Wild. If you've enjoyed the show today, please share it with someone else who appreciates this kind of original content. And be sure to visit DennisWakabayashi.com to catch up with Dennis or find out where we're going to be on our next CX in the Wild adventure.